Uh, let's stand on our feet. I'm going to read from the Bible. Come on. I love the energy I feel right now. All right, this is uh, probably my favorite chapter in the Bible, but I say that about a few of them. Uh, but this is John chapter 15. I'm going to read uh, the first handful of verses here. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them, cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. It's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. It's great to be with you tonight, church. Wasn't that a blessed time of worship? There's something so beautiful about just simply singing and expressing ourselves to Jesus. I was getting so touched. Just, I just want to be where you are. I want to be close to your heart. Isn't that a beautiful prayer to sing to Jesus tonight? I think he likes that prayer. I think he's saying, yes, me too, me too, me too. <sighs> who was here last week? Who wasn't here last week? Oh my goodness, this is, you guys make my job so hard. <laughs> I, I hope if you weren't here, you listened to the podcast. If you didn't listen to the podcast, you're going to need to after tonight because I'm going to try to unpack more of last week's message, which I think was, there's, not every Sunday is the same. Do you guys, have you, you know what I'm talking about? Like every Sunday is so different because God is so manifold, it's like a diamond. You can look at those diamonds so many ways and it just refracts differently. And God is manifold in his glory and his wisdom and who he is. And that's one of the beautiful things about church. But uh, the, some Sundays I feel like God really drops something that's heavy that takes time to unpack. And I think that last Sunday... Uh, really discerning, even leaders in the church discerning that last Sunday was a real significant night for us. And I felt that that was a word that the Lord released that we're going to spend probably a number of months. I'm not going to say how many, but I think it's going to be quite a few months unpacking some of the nuances of understanding this priestly identity that Peter's talking about when he says that we are a royal priesthood. And this has implications. If you weren't here last week, I tied this idea of being a royal priest back to the garden and looking at Adam, the first Adam, as this type of the priesthood, this priestly identity that's not a religious identity because priests existed before religion and looking at what is the heart 
of a royal priest? And then how did Jesus come and redeem this? And anyways, for those of you that weren't here, I hope you listened. If you didn't, that's okay because there's technology and that allows you to listen outside of time. So we're kind of time travelers in some way. You can go back in time. If you can go forward and tell me what I'll preach next week, that would be really cool. Anyways, uh, I, I, I shared a number of things, but I, I've been praying. I'm asking the Lord, okay, how, I, I got a lot of feedback. I, I like to give feedback sometimes of, you know, and, and sometimes I can discern questions that are in the room when we unpack a topic. And really, I just tried to convey this kind of stream of thought of what does it mean to be a royal priest and challenge some schema that I think we have that stands in the way from us seeing it. But a lot of people are like, well, what do I do practically? And then we picked up seed. Who picked up seed last week? Isn't that, isn't that cool? We have more seed if you want seed. If you listen to last week's message and you want seed, we can get you seed. It was one of those moments. You're like, what did you do last week? If you have no idea what I'm talking about. You'll just have to find out. But if you picked up seed, you know, what do I do with this seed? How do I sow seed? If priests are cultivators, if a royal priest is someone who's put like Adam onto the earth and there's an inner garden and an outer garden and uncultivated land and we're commissioned to behold God and worship and then imitate him with a life and basically create Eden, create the garden of God on earth with the way that I steward my earthly inheritance. If that's a priest, I'm put on earth, I'm, I'm given a vocation of proximity, of closeness with God, where Adam communed with God in the middle of the garden in the cool of the day, and he worshiped God in the spirit. Then he cultivated the garden in relationship with Eve, and then him and Eve were called to be fruitful and multiply and create family and fill the earth so that the borders of that garden would then extend, and the uncultivated earth would become cultivated. And then Jesus comes as the new high priest who redeems the sin of the old high priest. And he puts the new covenant in us as seed form and says, go, be fruitful. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and redeem the vocation of man and turn this earth that I've put under your care. Turn it into the garden of God. Make it like heaven. That was just a little foretaste of last week. You're like, oh, wow, my head. So what do we do with that? Where do we start if we want to actually start giving ourselves to becoming a royal priest and then walking this whole priesthood thing out? Anybody asking that question? Anybody ask over the last week, what do I do with this seed? Yeah. Okay, well, let's start. We ready? All right, look to your neighbor. Say, I'm ready. ready. Say, are you ready? If you're not, you can say no. And if they tell you no, just say, well, you better get ready. All right, how do we, how do we start stepping into this priestly identity and this seed of Christ, the imperishable word, the presence of God that's in us, how do we start stewarding this and stewarding our identity in such a way that we can step into it and start changing the earth? Because the priest will have spiritual, relational, and physical fruit in their lives. We looked at Isaiah 61 last week. All of creation, Romans 8, is groaning for the revelation of the sons and the daughters of God because creation itself was designed to function with a priesthood, 
with priestly representatives that would represent creation to God and represent God to creation. So how do we do this? How do we do this whole representation thing? All right, it's going to start inside out. Say inside out. You ever heard, you know, the kingdom of God is inside out. Inside, outside, upside, downside. If you think you got it figured out, you don't side, right? This kingdom of God is inside, outside. And so when looking at this, stepping into this priestly identity, we have to think inside, outside. And so I want to go back to this idea I presented of the garden as, and, and, and then even as the tabernacle and the temple as these prototypes of the garden, that when a Hebrew would have read about the temple, they would have thought Garden of Eden because the garden had the center, the inner garden, the outer garden, uncultivated land. There was the inner court or the Holy of Holies. There was the outer court. Then there was the, you know, the courts, the courtyard of the temple. So there's this progression. And when we're talking about the priesthood, it's going to start in the inner sanctuary. Say, say inner garden. It starts in the inner garden with God. It starts in the place of spiritual worship, of actually cultivating spiritual union with Jesus. This is the first intuitive rhythm. This is the first posture that a priest will take. Because cultivating union with God, say union with God, cultivating union with Jesus Christ is actually what edifies and strengthens our spirit man inside of us. Have you read about the Bible where it uses language like your inner man or your spirit man? Like in Ephesians 3, Paul says, I pray that your inner man would be strengthened and rooted with all power and rooted and grounded in love. Right? So we have a spirit, we have a soul, the more relational, emotional part of us, that's real basic. We have a, a mind, intellectual part of us. We have a physical body. We're this triune beings and priestly priestly vocation starts in the spirit the spirit part of us cultivating union that's going to edify and strengthen our spirit man and this is so important because if we don't start with this strong strengthened inner man that's being edified we'll never be able to live inside out say inside out, out. priests of god most high live inside outside lives. Inside, outside. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to tell a number of stories tonight. This is some of the, I got some really good feedback this week that said, tell stories, Jordan. I think stories will help bolt some handles on this idea of a royal priest so that we can hold it. We can grab hold of it. So I'm going to share some stories, not so much because I want you to do everything that I do in my stories, but just to put some word pictures on what this can look like and make it real life. Is that okay? So I'm trying to break explicitly here. I'm trying to get the idea of a priest outside of a religious box. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this because it's, this has nothing to do with spiritual things or church things as we would think of it. But this is very much uh, just a testimony in Jackie and I's life where the Lord was functioning with us. He was, he, was, he was calling us into a priestly identity in the way that we're living and stewarding our personal life. And this is the story. Uh, I was at coffee. It was a coffee that had nothing to do with anything about our personal life. Uh, I was in the conversation. In the middle of the conversation, I hear the whisper of the Lord. He says, you need to start looking for a house. We were not in any place that was kind of off the radar. We thought maybe that was a, a few years away. And uh, I call her on the way home. I said, I heard the voice of God so clear. It was, it was like a, 
It was like a, the clearest whisper in the midst of a loud coffee shop in the middle of a conversation. I was like, I just heard it. I said, I don't know what to do with that. She said, okay, great. And my wife's a woman of faith. When she hears the words, she hears the promise, she acts on it. So two days later, she's like, hey, I called around and I got in touch with this builder. He's got this lot, says it overlooking the mountains. We need to go look at it. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, no, I know where that lot is. And I know overlook mountain. There's no way we're going to be able to afford that lot. But okay, let's go. So we go, we talk to this builder and I kid you not, for whatever reason, over the course of like back and forth about a week, he just looks at us and says, I could make a whole lot more money on this, but I'll give it to you at this price. And, and it, it was like significantly lower. And at that point, I got nervous. And the reason I got nervous is because that price was still way above my price. But then Jackie goes, you heard from the Lord a whisper, and we clearly just saw the favor of God. We have no idea why this, favor, why this builder's doing this. We have no idea. And she said, we need to pray. This is God. And I said, uh oh, <laughs> what happened? And at that point, we begin to pray. The Lord convicted me. And again, what Jackie's speaking, she's convicting me, Jordan, pay attention to what's happening on the inside. Right? Pay attention to what God spoke to you in the inner garden. Don't pay attention to what's happening on the outer world where you're looking at your bank account, you're looking at all the other things. Pay attention to what happened in the inner garden. You heard from God a whisper in the inner garden Stay in the spirit, because I'm like in the spirit, then I'm like, oh, then I'm like in the spirit, and I'm like, oh, she's like, just stay there. I don't like you when you're, ha. Ah. So we pray, we pray, and as I'm praying, this is what comes to me. The story of the widow who ran out, who didn't have any money, and the prophet says, you know, get the oil jars, and I'm going to give you the, the oil that you need. And I know in that story, she didn't do all the jars, you know, and she said, if you would have done more jars, you would have done more oil. So I looked at Jackie, I said, okay, we're going to do this. This is what I think we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get every jar in our home and stick it out on our living room floor. And I was like, and I'm just going to look at it and say, oil, oil, oil. So for months, we had probably 35 mason jars. I mean, I did vases. I did basically anything that could hold oil was out in our, in our living room. These people came over one day that was unexpected, and they're walking, and they're like, oh. And I was like, yeah. Doing a baking class over here. It's like, I don't know what to say. I'm like, I don't know how to describe that one to you. But I got jars everywhere in my house because I'm believing God for oil. We made the decision between when we made the decision and then the day that we had to close our house and actually come up with the money that we didn't have for the down payment. Every dollar was provided and then some. I'm not giving a prosperity gospel spiel here. I'm giving a picture of living inside, outside. Right? If, I'm, if I'm not edified in the inner man, I'm then bound. The only way I'm going to live through my life is outside in. And when I live outside in, I'm bound by the constrictions of my mind and the outer world informing me how to live. But who is a priest representing to the world? God. And so God was discipling Jackie and I and how to think that he has different ways of thinking about land, inheritance, finances than sometimes the outer world does. He doesn't so much care about how much money is in your bank. He cares about how much faith is in your heart. He values jars of oil on your living room. No, no oil, just jars, just empty mason. He values mason jars more than sometimes the practical wisdom. And I'm not against practical wisdom. I'm a very practical. I, was, I studied business in college. I, did, I was good at accounting. They said you should go into accounting. I know how to think in this way. It didn't make sense, but it's inside, outside. Say inside, outside. Priests live inside, outside. 
So it has to start in the inner garden. If the inner garden, if I'm not cultivating and living in a spiritual union with Christ, I have no way of receiving, of beholding God and get and being informed of what he's like. And when you read the scripture, you see that God is just not like us. Like, ask Gideon. What? The army's already bigger than us. Send how many home? What? Send more home? What? Like, the whole Bible is full of stories that don't make a lot of sense. But faith doesn't make sense. It makes miracles. We are priests who are representing the God of all miracles to the earth. The God of abundance to the earth. The God whose way is not our way to the earth. So if I'm not rooted in a spiritual union, I'm just going to end up looking and mirroring like the earth. Okay. So let's talk intimacy with God. Let's talk inner garden, intimacy with God. When we're talking about inner garden, intimacy with God, holy of holies, inner court, whatever you want to call it, we're talking about connecting to God spiritually through prayer, worship, scripture, you know, the, the classic spiritual disciplines, most of what we do when we gather at church. This is why the church has rightly, you know, uh, emphasized this for the most part in our church gatherings. It's not the full gamut of worship. Again, worship is spiritual, it's relational, it's physical, but we're talking inner court. We're talking about a deep union face to face with God. And uh, this is what's going to help us live inside out. So the key word here that I want you to get when talking about cultivating spiritual union with God is the word abide. Say abide. abide. We read it. It's in this John 15 passage everywhere. The whole, the whole point that Jesus is using is he's using this cultivating language of a, a branch abiding and growing in union with a vine as this picture and, and really, I think his most express command of how to cultivate intimacy with Jesus, both of the need to cultivate intimacy and then the command. And the word is abide. And abiding is, there is a rest component to abide, but I think of abiding as a rest most busy. There's a lot of work that goes into learning to abide. Yeah? So in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, I'll, I'll actually just read it to you, I'll, I'll, is... Uh, this beautiful verse, it says in, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, it says, but by his doing, say his doing, by his doing, God, you are in Christ Jesus. So by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. This is why we can abide. It's because of God's doing, right? So God has work in abiding, we have work in abiding. What was God's work in making it a, a in allowing us to abide. It was 5,000 years of a patient walk with Israel. Covenant, patriots, patriarchs, prophets, rebellion, come back, rebellion, come back, you know, building a context for the coming Christ. So 5,000 years of patient love. Then Jesus came, he became a man. He was crucified on the cross of Calvary. As he died, the veil was torn, ripped. The inner garden's veil was torn because a new high priest was entering, 
this is cool when it starts landing. Then he rises from the dead. And then the first person that sees Jesus in John uh, 20 or 19, I can't think, is Mary Magdalene. And she thinks he's the gardener. Scott gave me that one last week. I was like, come on, man. He's a cultivator. She missed him for a gardener. So now he's torn the veil and he's made a way to come back into the inner garden and that we can be face to face with the gardener the cultivator of heaven, the true high priest who knows how to make life flourish. So that was God's work in this abiding thing, gave his life to make a way for us to come back to the garden. What is our work? It's learning to go there and stay. <laughs> so there's a senior partner and a junior partner, right? Yes, that is right, whether you agree or not, it is right. So our doing, his doing was all of that. Our doing is to learn to enter into the inner garden and to build a relationship with Jesus. Relationships built on communication. I talked about this last week, but priests live a life rhythm of beholding and then imitating. Right? When I become fascinated with somebody, I will imitate them. This is why everybody... Not everybody, but they pay all this money to social media influencers now because we value, we're infatuated with certain people, and so we'll wear what they wear, and we'll go where they go, and we'll vacation where they vacation, and, you know, we'll name their kids what we, they name their kids, you know, like, whatever. <laughs> Didn't land. <laughs> I'm not a social media person, but that's what happens, I promise. We behold, when we become infatuated, we imitate. Imitation is a form of flattery. It says, I value you. So priests are living this life rhythm where I'm beholding God and I'm learning how he lives life. I'm becoming infatuated by him. He's the greatest influencer out there. And you're like, wow, that's brilliant. I'm going to go try it myself. Wow, that's brilliant. I'm going to go try it myself. Wow, that's brilliant. I'm going to go try it myself. You're holy. I'm going to go be like you. You're holy. I'm going to go be like you. Do you see it? See this rhythm? Behold, imitate. Behold, imitate. Worship. Try it yourself. Worship. Imitate. Worship. Be like him. Get in love with him. Go be like him. In love with him. Be like him. Finances. Wow, you're brilliant. I'm going to be like you. Relationships. I'm going to be like you. Oh my gosh, you created sex. I'm going to go be like you. Like every, it's, there's no religious box to what God's like. We can become absolutely enamored with everything about him because every part of our life, he's better at it than we are. And then when we'll see it, it's like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, like how, I want to try it now. Right? And then we'll probably fall a few times. I, I didn't, oh my gosh, I got to go try it again. It's just this beautiful life. Behold, imitate, behold, imitate. So this starts in the inner garden. It's the same thing. This is how you learn to pray. This is how you learn to worship. You receive and then you give it back. You receive and then you give it back. You receive, and then you give it back. He loves us first every day. We'll never anticipate his awakeness. He's always awake. If we woke up at the earliest that we could imagine waking, he's already awake. He's already speaking. He's already pursuing. He speaks, and then we give it back. Behold, imitate. Behold, imitate. I, 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 last night, it's like God just sets me up. But last night, I, we were, it was probably like, it was late, past 10. Shows you, that shows you how old I'm getting. 
32 next month. Come on. Naomi, I thought Naomi was falling asleep, but I just kind of grabbed her and put her on my, I kind of had my knees up. I put her, so I was looking at her. And all of a sudden, I could just tell. She did not want to go to sleep. She wanted to communicate. And she's sitting there. She starts smiling at me, eye contact with me. And she, she kind of has this happen periodically, but it was like I could tell. So I just started talking to her. I was like, I adore you. It's like, I adore you. You're so special. Like, I just, it was coming out. I started getting emotional. She's looking at me, and it was as if my words were consuming her soul. And she started, God, yeah. And the more I talked, the more she talked. And it was like, for, it was like past 11 by the time that the conversation ended. I lost track of time, man. But, but it, was like, it was like the Lord, it was like a visual aid of behold, imitate. Behold, imitate. Behold, imitate. Behold, imitate. What a picture of prayer. We don't realize it, but our spirits are beholding him. He's, he is communicating to us at a profound spiritual level all the time. He's just absolutely infatuated with us. And it's, he's flooding us. He's seeding us with love. He is wooing us with love. And prayer is learning to goo, goo, goo. It, it, it's our feeble attempt at a response to his perfect communication of love. And, and at the heart of prayer, it just says, I want to be close. I want to be close. I want to be close to you. You want to be close? I want to be close to you. I want to be close to you. We receive, we give. We receive, we give. We listen, we express. We behold, we imitate. Do you see how beautiful this is? It takes time. It takes time. But I'm, I'm confident Naomi will be able to have a, a, an English communication with me because she's made in my image. She looks like me. She's probably going to talk like me, sound like me and Jackie. God is confident of our ability to grow, not just to the point where we can have a competent communication and prayer, but we can have face-to-face -face intimacy and equal, a bride-bridegroom type of connection. He's confident because we're priests. We're made in his image. The spiritual part of us is what died when man fell in sin, and it's the spiritual part of us that gets awakened at salvation in seed form. But prayer, communion, is what edifies, it's what grows that spirit to where back it takes the place of leadership in our lives. Right? As the spirit becomes more edified, things like mason jars start to make sense. They do, they start to feel more normal. Because we start to wear life like a loose garment, and this starts to become home. This is why Paul said, when I'm out of the body, I'm longing to be at home in Christ. This temporary shelter, I want it to go, it's decaying, but I'm being strengthened and edified in the inner man. Because we start growing more and more. This is why Paul can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's this, there's this transition that takes place in the spiritual life as the spirit gets more and more edified through the life of prayer, through living in the inner garden with God, through beholding, imitating, beholding, imitating. Okay, so now I'm just going to share some stories. Can I share a few stories? Some of these are going to entertain you.
Some of them have to do with my mom. Oh, great. It's all right. Payback. I was an insecure teenager, and she was very loud. <laughs> we just moved schools. This has nothing to do with the night. I just moved school. It's eighth grade. I'm so insecure. We moved school. It's like the third week of school, and all the they're raising money at a fundraiser after school, a jogathon, and I'm like standing with all the cool kids waiting for our parents to pick us up in line, and my mom rolls up in a baby blue scooter, hawking and going, Jordan, over here! I started running, just running. It's like Forrest Gump. I didn't stop for months. Just running. I was mortified. Anyways, I love my mom. I'm actually going to brag on her a little bit. But uh, so... So song, I'm just going to talk about worshiping, intimacy with God through song. We do this all the time, but we have to learn how to do this. And uh, when, uh, my, this, is, this is a story that captures, I think, my understanding of, of worship growing up. I probably was 14 or 15. I have a vivid memory. I was standing in church with my arms crossed during the worship set. And, you know, worship probably two songs in or whatever. And my mother elbows me on the side and says, start singing. So my response, it was kind of, it was in a more, uh, what's the opposite of contemporary? Traditional. Sorry, that's the word. It, it was real traditional season of that life of the church, so it was kind of more operatic. So I just looked at her and I said, okay. How great thou art. Turned mocking. That, so that, that kind of captures what I thought of worship as a teenager. So fast forward, that's like 14, 15, I think 17, or, no, it was 18 years old is this story. And God, had, God really started working on me at 17. So I'm at church at 18, and I remember it. I, I remember it vivid to this day. I, as I'm, I'm worshiping, I'm actually engaging at this point, which is the best I can. I start feeling the unction to raise my hands. I wasn't necessarily at a church that you, everyone raised their hands. And if they did, I probably wouldn't have been the one to do it. And I'd never done this. I'd never raised my hand in worship. And I remember sitting there having this debate with God with my eyes closed, like, I am not doing this. Like, this feels so uncomfortable, you know? So was, I had a few, like, false attempts, false starts. So I was like, I can't do it. And I remember I opened my eyes, and my pastor was next to me, and he had his hands raised. And something about that just gave me courage. And I remember I raised my hands, and I just felt freedom come over me. And I remember this moment, truly, that was the first time I probably ever actually cultivated, sowed seed, actually gave myself to worshiping God in a corporate expression. And I experienced grace. That was the first time. Um, I remember, uh, num this is years later now, the first time I, I sang my own song. You know, they'll say that up here sometimes. Just sing your own song in these moments. That was really out there for me. I, you know, I was, I was doing really good to raise the hands. And I remember I was, I was praying. We had a little prayer chapel in our house, at one of our houses growing up. And I was in the prayer chapel. It was late at night. And as I'm praying, something starts rising up in me like I needed to sing. But I didn't have a song. There's no songs being played. I just felt this like, I need to sing. And I just felt the Lord said, just sing, just sing, just sing your song to me. And 
I fought it again because it was like this is I don't I don't even know what to do right it was like ah and suddenly it was like fire in my bones and I just started okay I just gave myself to it and I just started singing and it, it was probably like a yeah you know it was nothing beautiful nothing poetic but it was me it was my voice and as I sang I just started singing things and singing words and pretty soon I'm singing about God and pretty soon it's like I'm just experiencing his presence I, I was cultivating I was actually giving myself it was like I was leaning into the conversation you know like any conversation is only going to be as fruitful as both parties are willing to go it will only go as deep as both parties are willing to take it and if you try to do it one-sided, it turns to ministry. Prayer is not ministry first. There's ministerial parts of prayer. But prayer at its heart is about proximity. It's about closeness. It's about, and I started giving. It was like the more that I leaned, it didn't matter what depth I went to, he was already there. And deeper, and deeper, and it, was, it changed me. Fast forward another year, years, I don't have the timelines exactly, but I'm, I'm alone again in a prayer chapel, and I just feel this unction to, to bodily express myself. Like, the only thing I could think is, like, I need to dance right now. I've got David flashing around in my head, like, go away. Go away, David. Go away. Come on, let's do Paul. Where's Paul at? But David just won't leave my head. And I just feel this unction, like, you need to express yourself. And if singing was awkward, if raising my hands was awkward, this was like I was stripped naked before the Lord. And it's like, <laughs> hi. <laughs> but I started to just move. I can be a little stubborn sometimes, but I'm obedient. And I just started moving. And, like, I was an athlete growing up. I was a jock, not the drama club. Nothing against that, but way more expressive and comfortable with things like this. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so uncomfortable. But again, it's like as I gave myself to cultivating, it was just something in me. It was my spirit in me was just seeking expression for how to offer back to God, how to imitate back to him that he thrills and rejoices over me. Right? No matter the beauty of my expression to him, he, he was already, it was first in him. It's still a response. I may not consciously be aware of it, but my spirit's just responding to him. God was discipling me into becoming a cultivator. And, you know, this sometimes... For whatever reason, all the, you know, if you dance or you have, we've labeled that as the broader church like you, you know, that's real charismatic. That has nothing to do with charismatic. Charismatic is a theology about what you believe about the spiritual gifts. This is worship. This is, this is the Psalms. This is the Hebrew word for worship is different than the English word. It's just a bunch of different postures of the body and sounds and, and, and yells and rejoices and, and silence. Like it's all these different expressions of how to respond to Yahweh. This is like Israeli worship, if anything. This is Jewish worship. Like this isn't charismatic. I don't know where that came from. This is Jewish. This is biblical worship. 
This is just a response to him. So that was some of the, the worship, how the Lord's discipling me. And again, I'm not trying to say, hey, this is the way, walk ye in it. I'm just trying to give you stories of what does it mean to sow the seed. Because every time I give myself to something, I'm sowing. Every minute, every hour, every length of time I give to God and I really give of myself, I'm sowing. I'm building something with him. Uh, prayer. I, I just want to talk a little bit about prayer. I'm not going to go terribly long because I don't want to keep you all night with this town hall meeting thing. But, and again, we're going to be on this topic for a long time. So I don't want to overwhelm you. I just want to seed you tonight. Um, prayer for me, uh, my relationship with prayer actually began with my mom. And for me, I learned prayer at morning devotions. Uh, we had morning devotions religiously, not in a bad way, in like fighting young boys way. Uh, we're doing this. And uh, my mom was faithful even when Riley and I and Mason would have different uh, school schedules. She would make sure that she was up first with the Lord, then she would have her time with me, then her time with Riley, then her time with Mason. And it was just, it was one of the most consistent staples of my childhood was I knew mom would seek the Lord in the morning. I had no intimacy with God, but she did. And so I benefited as a young person of getting to behold a cultivator cultivating intimacy. And I got to eat and drink the overflow of that. I remember all my major first moments with the Lord and learning the presence of the Lord were with her. And it, you know, it deeply impacted me. And, you know, I just want to, I, I felt prompted from the Lord to just make this comment, is that sometimes I think because we haven't understood priestly cultivation and that prayer is about cultivating intimacy, we've almost been offended in the church by the idea that someone could pray better than me. So it's like, well, I pray. They don't pray. We all pray. We all pray the same. You pray, I pray, we all pray, ice cream, yay, right? When, if you look at the idea of cultivation, right, if you're beginning your life of prayer, of union with Christ, you're planting a garden box, and you are praying, you're cultivating, you're sowing seed, but it shouldn't be threatening to, to look at the person who has a 50-acre garden that's been 40 years of cultivation and say, I probably have some things to learn from you. My garden's growing, so is your garden. It's the same, it's prayer, but you probably have some things you could teach me. Like, we're actually born with the need for discipleship. That's why we can't do anything but make a sound out of two ends of our body. <laughs> say, help. <laughs> I don't know what I need. You've got to figure it out for me. Right? God... God puts us under the care of our parents to be discipled by them. And it's the same in, in the spirit. It's the same with prayer. So we can't be threatened by the idea of being discipled, right? You get around cultivators and you'll learn to cultivate. You catch a lot of things that words can't teach you in the kingdom. Anyways, what my mother gifted me was a, a map. She gifted me a spiritual map that told me that there was an inner garden. I'd never been there, but I knew she went there. And I knew it because it overflowed out of her. Her inner garden overflowed into my life. And so I got to come into proximity of that. It's not the same. Nobody can take you into the inner garden. That is a place that you alone go with God. 
but, but you can behold others and imitate others who go there. And she gave me a map so that when I came of age, I began to intuitively seek for God in that place. I, be, I knew, I knew there was a place of intimacy, and, and by his grace, I began to find it because I was given an inheritance of a spiritual map of an inner garden with God. When talking about prayer, I've touched on this a little bit, but I just want to say this expressly, is that when looking at prayer, adoration is greater than intercession or thanksgiving or petition or contrition, you know, repentance. Adoration is greater than all of these things. All of these things are indispensable, and we'll probably spend some time talking about what is intercession, what is petition, what is thanksgiving, what is contrition. But adoration both flavors all of these things and is the highest expression of prayer. Adoration just says, I want to be with you. I, I came across this quote. I was... I've read this book. This is a book called Prayer and Worship by Douglas Steer. I've been in it for two years, and it's continuing to feed me, and it's like 50 pages. It's, it's just an incredible book by a, uh, a Quaker guy, actually, named Douglas Steer. But I was looking, I, I was looking for something that could uh, express this idea, and this like hit me so hard. felt like it was straight from the Lord for us. And, and he's writing, he says this, uh, religion is adoration, was a favorite remark of the veteran of prayer, Friedrich von Hugel. The most fundamental need, duty, honor, and happiness of man is not petition or contrition, nor even thanksgiving, but adoration. Adoration is not alone a special stage in prayer, although it may be that too, but all the truest prayer is shot through with it, and its mood is the background to all real contrition, petition, and intercession. In adoration, we enjoy God. We ask nothing except to be near Him. We want nothing except that we would like to give Him everything. Out of this kind of prayer comes the cry, Holy, holy, holy. In the school of adoration, the soul learns why the approach to every other goal had left it restless. That last line hit me like a lightning bolt. In the school of adoration, the soul learns why the approach to every other goal had left it restless. The heart of prayer is adoration. I want to be close to you. That's why I love what we were singing tonight. That was a song of adoration. I just want to be close to your heart. I don't want to leave you. I want to come closer. I want to go deeper. I want to know you more. That's both this expression, but then it's the mood. I love how he describes it. That's the mood that colors all other form of prayer. At the heart of prayer is a cry for connection. So adoration is greater it's the height. Another way of saying that is that prayer has more to do with intimacy than it does ministry. I found that prayer is usually taught or expressed in a lot of 
circles as it goes first towards the ministerial aspect of I need to pray for this, or I need to ask for this, or I need to intercede for this. All those things are beautiful. They're indispensable. They're absolutely biblical, true prayer. But if we haven't, if we're not close yet, all those things are kind of superfluous. Superfluous. Trusting that you are with me. If I only see prayer as a ministry transaction, it's difficult to imagine hours slipping by in bliss. But if I see prayer through the lens of adoration, if I see it as the school of adoration, and the deepest form of being known, and the deepest form of knowing, Psalm 16 starts to come into clarity. That I set you before me continually, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. It says union with perfect love, with a perfect lover who's just so wonderful at communicating. There's no intimacy without authenticity. Say authenticity. There's no intimacy without authenticity. We will never um, procure the closeness of God trying to be for him what he thinks we want him to be. If, if we're trying to fill a void of not enoughness in our life with I'm going to become what you want me to be, it will never know intimacy because God is only intimate with what he loves. And when we operate out of that, it's an imposter shadow self. It's an alter ego that's performing for something that has already been settled. God is always present with our authentic self. No matter how unpolished or messy or full of sin that is. God is present with us. He says, I will never leave you. It doesn't matter how deep the sin, it doesn't matter how blatant the rebellion, he will not turn his back on you. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. God is present with our authentic self. That's a line from Brennan Manning that has deeply impacted my life. I'm going to read another quote by Douglas. He's talking about his wife's grandfather. He says, My wife's grandfather used to get up early and go out to the barn long before the family was accustomed to rise. And there on his knees, he would talk over his life and his family, his work and his friends before God. It was real. It was more than a lecture. As he spoke, something searched him and worked in and on him. The divine human engagement was in process. In conversations, we do not address a friend as though he were in a public meeting, nor do we use the formal language of public address. In private spoken prayer, we have the same privilege, and the more we can drop the conventional phrases that may have little meaning and come to simple, sharp, clear, and direct speech, the more likely the prayer is to be genuine. I love that. 
that bleeds of authenticity. God wants what is real. And I have found in my life that when I get to what is real, he's always there. Because he's absolutely in love with me. And he knows, he just, he wants to talk. If you need a discipline to help you discover this authenticity, a word, a Hebrew word, I think, for authenticity would be hineni, which is the word that Abraham and, and many of the prophets used. When they came into the presence of God and God would address them, they would reply, hineni, which means here I am. Here I am. Those three words are communicating actually something very deep. They're not communicating location. It's not saying, here I am, God. I'm at River House tonight, Garden City, Idaho, 208. I'm right here. Here I am is saying my spiritual, emotional, and physical being are together present with you in this present moment. It's, it's expressing a Trinitarian alignment within us. Here I am. That's authentic. So uh, an exercise that's helped me cultivate that profoundly in my life is journaling. Journaling helps me gather my often scattered thoughts and my soul's one place and my body's another place and my spirit's another place. And as I journal and reflect, I start to process and weed out and sift out all the peripherals and come to the heart of me and to the center of my being and find words to begin to articulate here I am to God. And then I find him. Yeah, God is always present with our authentic self. Our spirit's just constantly being loved by him. Okay, I think that's good. Um, I'm going to close with this. This is just a, a bit of an exhortation. Is I want to exhort you, church, to find rhythm with God in the inner garden. To, to begin to get into that, behold Imitate, behold, imitate, behold, imitate. And so really simply, like whatever way you connect with God best, if it's in the scriptures, if it's through sung worship, if it's through silence and meditation, if it's through journaling, whatever form it may be, I just want to charge you to behold and imitate and to actually create space, to not see it as one-sided, but to create space for beholding and imitating. So listening and expressing. So if you're reading the scriptures, listen to the scriptures and then respond, and then listen, and then respond, and then listen and respond. If you're journaling, listen, let God speak to you, then respond to him. Listen, respond. If you're worshiping, worship to him, then take time to listen. Let him respond, then worship to him. But learn, try to, try to catch the rhythm of this inner garden sanctuary with God. Amen? Amen. All right, I want to close in prayer, and this is the, the prayer that I, I want to pray, is that uh, God would gift. As I, I was asking the Lord, how do I close? And I just, I want to pray that God would put a spiritual map into anybody's hands who want, wants one that would intuitively would seed you to show you that there is an inner garden that God is longing for you to come with. So if that is something that you just, I just believe in, in, in parting prayer. And uh, I just want you to stand and open your hands. And I'm just going to ask that God will place that map. Uh, uh, he'll give us a a knowing. He'll seed us. He'll give us a vision, an invitation to come into this blessed sanctuary of cultivating connection with him. So God, I thank you for every heart that's here. I thank you for their yes, their love for you. 
I thank you, God, for this priestly identity that rests upon each one here, and that whether they know it or not, they were created for proximity with you at the very core level of who they are, God. You knit them together for love with you. So I bless them to come into their created design and to enter into the inner sanctuary of God, to come into the middle of the garden and to learn to walk with you, to be in step with you, in rhythm with you, like Adam and Eve were, God. I pray that you will deposit a map, God, a, a spiritual map, God, an intuitive knowing, God, a compass, a guide, a Holy Spirit, that you will dispense yourself. You are the guide who leads us into the truth, and Jesus is the truth. And so we ask, Lord, for a dispensation of the grace of the Holy Spirit to come upon this house, and that you will guide us to the inner sanctuary of God, and you will equip us and teach us to cultivate connection. God, I just bless every feet. I bless the feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news on the mountain. God, I just pray, bless these feet to come into rhythm and teach us, Lord, the rhythm of beholding and imitating, listening and expressing. And we pray that in the precious and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah. If you're blessed, look to someone and say, you are blessed. All right. Well, we're going to close. One sec, one sec. Come here. Come on. Come on. Uh, we're going to have a town hall meeting in like 10 minutes. So we don't, I don't like bait and switch, come to church and talk about practicals and finances. So we want you here, but if you don't want to be here, by all means, there's zero shame. So you can go, please get your kids because we want the kids workers to be able to come in. So get your kids, zip back in. It's not going to be a super long meeting and uh, we'll be back here at 6.53. So see you soon. All right. Well, thanks for coming here, guys. This is, uh, this is exciting. I'm just going to sit down. Um, really, this is more than anything, I think, to be informative and then just to create uh, an opportunity to give maybe a little bit more of a technicolor vision of what we see and what we're pursuing. And yeah, just create space uh, for us to seek the Lord as a family. I think this is uh, a moment that we'll probably look back on. Uh, for a lot of years, I have faith that uh, God's in this somehow or some way. We, uh, we've been a, about a six-year journey, truly, of trying to figure out what we were going to do as far as a physical home. And that was, you know, as baseline of, like, where are we going to meet in a few weeks? Like, now, rent, rent lease, to uh, actually buying something, to whatever it may be. And um, for those of you that have been around, we've, we've tried to pursue a couple buildings. Who was, who was here for both of those yeah one of the build the first building we raised a bunch of money and then we gave it all back if you guys remember that because it, it fell through there was uh, the city there's parking issues and then uh, the second time we didn't it ended up um, the building ended up not going for sale so the the contract voided and we've really just been in this waiting pattern and all the while we've been stewarding our finances in such a way that we would be able to uh, potentially move on something when that time came and uh, anyways, all that to say, we've had a lot of discerning conversations of kind of, okay, let's put our foot forward, let's do this, let's not do this, and uh, we had our, our last elder meeting just last week, and we were talking about this, and every one of us looked around and was like, I'm 100%, like we're supposed to buy this land, I'm 100%, I'm 100%, and then we were all like, and we have no idea how at this point, like the how we don't have, but we do feel like we have the what, and so... Um, I think that uh, 
the how is in God's hand, and then there's obviously some cooperative effort between his people and him. But really, I want to talk about the what, and I guess give you a little bit of the insight to the behind-the-scenes conversations of why we think that the Lord's in this and what the future of this can look like. Um, we talked about this some. So there's, there's the slide. Do we have the, the, the bigger slide with the full valley? Did we get that or no? Uh, yeah, but we had the we had we had one from the. It doesn't matter. But the the point of it is, if you were to um, zoom out over the valley, there's basically you know Meridian, Eagle, Boise, and then you have Cuna growing, and Meridian obviously growing, and Nampa growing, and Caldwell growing, and there's a little patch of some farmland between where they all don't touch yet, and then Highway 16 is going to you know go right through the middle of that, and this property will be right off Highway 16. So essentially, it would be the most, one of the most accessible places in the entirety of the valley once Highway 16 finishes. They've started construction on Highway 16, so this isn't some future thing, this is a now thing. And uh, essentially, most people think that Highway 16 is going to become like Eagle Road, so, except there will be no stoplights. So, you from downtown Boise, from CUNA, from Meridian, from Emmett, from everywhere, you're going to be able to get to this location. Why that we believe that that is important is because early on we started getting, I mean, I remember we started getting words from people that were like, hey, uh, in Boise as it is in heaven is not a big enough vision. Because people were almost, people driving from Twin Falls, from Mountain Home, from all these different places, maybe not tons and tons of people, but people started coming and they're like, this is bigger. Like, I live in Nampa, Nampa's my home, but like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so we've been chewing that and then over these years really growing and trying to get a deeper sense of what is the vision of this church? Like what is River House called to do? And really I think in the last two years more specifically, God has really started to refine a lot of what that was. And if I were to be really honest with you, I think I saw some of what it was at the beginning of this. But then there was still some of what I thought it should be woven in. And I probably saw a River House becoming, you know, not a very presence-based church and a church where revival is happening, but it was still very much in the schema of what churches would, a big church and whatever it would be. And not necessarily a mega church, but just I didn't have the schema that I think the Lord's been discipling me into and us into as a house um, until the more recent years. And really what I've come to see is, it's very clear, it's right in our name, is that God has called us to build a river house. And if you really get into the scriptures of that from Ezekiel 47, it's a temple. And I really feel, even at an emotional level, I don't feel like this is a step to build a church as much as this is a step to build a temple. Now, that's cool language, but what does that really mean? Um, if you think of the temple in Israel, it was a place where God's presence was known to be that the whole nation kind of oriented around. But it wasn't like you went there on Sabbath to worship. Uh, you actually, the priests were in the temple continuously, and it was a place that was a continual habitation where the house of God was. That, it was just known that was God's house, that was God's land, that was God's holy place. And as I have, you know, sought the Lord, and we have sought the Lord over the years, and as I've gone, I've had a, I've had a knack for going to um, prayer houses for the last decade plus of my life. I just have always been gravitated to them, and I love to go spend time in them. And I've been astounded by how... When a house of prayer or a house of worship, a place like a temple, a tabernacle of God's created, 
you know how like peer pressure we always think of in the negative sense that you know you hang around drug addicts you're gonna start smoking dope or whatever but I've been astounded to see that when a house of God when a place where God's presence is cultivated and it's built which is not just it's not physical this is this is spiritual this is a community it actually has the reverse effect of peer pressure and people start getting discipled into a life of intimacy with Jesus and uh, we were at Upper Room, I took the whole staff there earlier this year, and they've, they've built this um, very successfully and beautifully. And we're not trying to be Upper Room, but I think they're a, a, a prototype in a way. There's something symbiotic of what I see and what they're doing there. And I just wept thinking that in all this, this, this Treasure Valley, there really is no place that you know you could go to as a Christian 24-7, anytime, where you could go and be resourced and met by God. There's no mount of the Lord that you could go to that's accessible uh, to this region. And uh, I, I really feel like I'm not here really pitching to you my vision or the vision of this church as much as I feel like God's chosen us to do this. Like this is our role in the kingdom of God coming to this region is God wants to build himself a house. God wants to build himself a dwelling place where his people can come. It's like the, tonight's message, where they can come and be close to him because they know you can go to the Mount of the Lord, you can go to the temple, you can, you can go to that place, and God is there. And I think that we have a call within our, you know, to, this is the call of our church. This is this priestly message. Is I think priests will intuitively, they'll build a temple space, they'll be knit together. They'll, I'm, talking, I'm not talking physical, I'm talking the community. And then they'll build a healthy family. This is Jesus. He built intimacy with the Father, everyone knew it, then he built a family around him. And that's what a priest will do, it's intuitively, it's hardwired. And I think there's something of this priest, this royal priest identity that God's actually sown into the calling of this house, that we're to be a priestly community that builds a river house, uh, that builds a, a house that we come to and gather to so that then the river comes out of. And so I do think that there's distinctions, like we're not going to, this isn't some vision to build a big building so that we can have bigger services like that doesn't even really cross my mind when we're thinking of this we're thinking of how do we architecturally and in every way weave the theology and the calling of of what god is doing to have a physical location that would be in the dead exact center of this entire region that you could access from anywhere probably within 15 or 20 minutes, you know, at the furthest. This is, you know, I think downtown Boise, because it'd just be freeway all the way there. And uh, this is, as we've been, you know, in behind the scenes in the elder meetings, we've been pondering this shift west for, I don't know, it's been, it's been a number of months, I think since last year. And at first we were a little bit like, I don't know what I think about that, but as the more we've prayed, it's just like, no, this, this feels like this is our calling. Um, we really feel like God's favoring us, even in this um, this land. Like what Mark said that uh, and shared a few weeks ago, the price of this land is really, really, really good, and uh, 40 acres positions us to be in a place where we would have everything we need. Like we, we received a uh, actually a prophetic word in Dallas. The staff, a guy that didn't know us, came to us and basically said, "I see the Lord giving you land, and that land is going to have within it everything you need." To, it's going to have blessing. It's going to have financial blessing. And uh, we feel like we're getting a pre-development price on a piece of land that's going to be very lucrative. Um, you know, think Eagle Road. And I just have a conviction in my spirit that this land is going to have everything we need to actually then 
create the building composed within it. 40 acres gives more than enough, probably, than what we would need, which creates a lot of creative opportunities to what I believe is to have a, a church that would be debt-free one day. So we just really, there's so many components that have just woven in, and then the rest of the Lord upon this, that really we feel this deep conviction that, like, this, this I, don't, I don't know how to say it. Like, I, I don't have the money. I don't have the check. Nobody sent me an email and said, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it. I just, I know that I know that this is what the Lord's leading us into, and I can't, I can't shake it. I just, I can't even, I don't even have to conjure it up. It's just there in me. And so that's a little bit of the what. I know some of the practical questions I wanted to address was, you know, when would we be in the building? Probably not for three years, realistically. Like, it could be sooner than that if we started, you know, immediately. But I, I'm not really thinking that. Um, part of the thing that I really appreciate about why it would be land then into a phased process probably of developing the land is that we are still maturing as a community right now into embodying our identity as a, as a, a priestly house. Um, we are a river house. It's not the building that would make us or legitimize us or authenticate in any way what we are. And I think that the, a three-year process, let's just throw that number out, actually gives us precious time to continue our maturation process as a community so that when we stepped into the location, we're not misfit. It's, we're not being morphed and changed around the location as much as we're building a location to actually meet the vision that God's giving us that we're still prioritizing and emphasizing for these next few years. So I don't feel like this is, let's get on a rah-rah and then everything's gonna be about moving into this building. No, it's gonna be about what was preached tonight. It's gonna be about us becoming a priestly house. And I feel like God's really speaking clearly to us as this is what I've given you. I think we're stewarding this in us and we're gonna multiply this and other people are gonna experience of this, but this is our inheritance in the Lord as river house so um that that really excites me but yeah it's not a it's not some immediate thing i think this would be a, a continued faith journey but uh yeah i'm trying to think is, is there anything from a practical side that i'm not spacing on i get into okay um i guess then that then just shifts to that's the what the how we don't know the how the only thing that I know about the how, and we had a really beautiful conversation, and, and, and Mark actually shared really beautifully of uh, his perspective, and his dad was a church planner and, and saw a lot of miracles take place to, to do things that shouldn't have been happening, like, you know, the, the mason jar type stories. And uh, so from the outside, I don't, I don't have the pathway, but the thing that I do know is at the heart, God is looking for cooperation, and that is the opportunity that I believe that he's given us as a church family is an opportunity that we could offer ourselves and give ourselves sacrificially to be a part of him getting what he wants in this, in this region, which would be a house that I believe thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of lives, maybe people that never even come to Riverhouse Church will come and they'll meet the Lord of hosts on the Mount of the Lord and be transformed by his presence that we are cultivating. And the bigger give in all of this is I want your time. I want your lives to sow and create a temple. I don't just want you to write a check tonight. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's easy. Um, I only want you to write a check if this is something that you actually want to give your life to help build. Because I think we're going to, this is, this is the memorial. This is the legacy that I think we'll get to leave that I believe we'll pass on. And 
we'll all be in the dirt one day and with the Lord, and this will continue. Because I think this is the Lord's idea. This is his plan. This is his vision. It, 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 just being like really honest with you, this isn't my vision. I feel like I was laughing today, and I'm like, you know, Lord, thanks for like choosing me to sit here and be like the steward of this thing. I was like, because you had to be really patient of all the time sorting me out of this equation. It's like, because I think I had like a bunch of other plans. And I was like, this probably isn't the plan that I had. But now that you've changed my heart, I see it. And it's beautiful. Like, it's for your name. You will glorify your glorious house for your name's sake. So the invitation that I have is we need, I think, I think we need a, a little under a million dollars. And that sounds really huge. Um, and, you know, in, in a natural sense, if we're looking from the outside, it, maybe it is. But I just have faith that this is God's house. And frankly, I don't want the money to come in if it's not God, because I'm not trying to build something. <laughs> that just sounds exhausting. Like, I want to help him do what he wants to do. And so in some ways, my bigger trepidation in processes like this are to try to push and to course to get, like, I don't want to conjure up a bunch of emotion to get the money so that we could do it. That doesn't appeal to me. I want to steward this in purity so that I know that every dollar that comes is pure. It's from the Lord. It's from clean hands that are making a sacrificial offering that says, I want to give myself to help build something that's bigger than me for your namesake. Not for my namesake, for your namesake. You know, adoration says, this wasn't planned, by the way, you know, but the sermon and everything, adoration says, it's not what you can give to me. It's that I want to give everything to you. And I think that this is an act of adoration that has power, and there's something about seeds that will be released, and there's something multiplicative about when people give in a sacrificial way. And, you know, Jackie and I were talking, and I said, "Hun, I, I, I really feel like we're, we're supposed to give, and we've been planning on it. And I went on a walk this morning, and I said, and the Lord told me, he said, you don't have to give. He said, you're going to give your whole life to help build this. You don't have to give. And I said, Lord, I appreciate that, but I want to. I want to give. And I said, and I want to give in a way that it cuts me, that it hurts. I was like, I, I want to give something that hurts me because there's something about that. Like, I want to lean into this. And I want to be a part of saying that I got to sow a seed for your glory's sake. And that's the invitation that I'm giving you. I don't want you to do anything out of some compulsion or anything less than worship. Like, I want this to be the foundation to be pure and the house to be pure because I want it to be a place where he dwells and it's his name and it's his glory and it's his house from the whole way through. And I can stand before you. We have $2.6 million in the bank at this point. And I can confess to all of you, it's pure. There was no manipulation. There's been no promotion. There's been no twisting of arms. There's been nothing done to try to procure and get money the lord's given it and i've known as it's just come year after year and it's just gotten i've known it was for something that was for his sake and i think this is the opportunity but it's going to require the faith and the sacrifice of us together and so that's what i'm inviting you into is to get to be a part of of, of blessing him and giving him what he wants um, which is, I think, a whole lot more beautiful than just so that we can have our own building. Like, I want him to have his own building, and we'll be the stewards of it, but it will belong to him from the very beginning to the very end. 
because it's his house. It's his, it's his name. It's his fame. And what I can, what I can promise, I guess, before all of you is that uh, how this will be stewarded from the beginning to the end, from the first architectural meetings to when we cut the ribbon or whatever we do, is that this is oriented around how can we build a place that can resource a region with the presence of God. That's, that's I believe, our calling more than anything if we succinct it down. So, anyways, um, maybe we'll put some soft music on now. And... <laughs> And, you know, we have buckets up here. Uh, if I, I know there's probably, like, questions you have, but rather than go through all of that, I think there's just something of the spirit of this moment right now. And I just want to create space. And if you want to give, I would ask you to give. And um, I'd ask you, if, you know, if this is in you, give in a way that cuts. There's something about that cut that it cuts so good. And I, there, I just... That's what Jaggy and I are doing, and I just want to invite you into that, to ask the Lord, what would that be? How is he asking me to give and to become a part of building God a, a memorial, a legacy, uh, a house, and a temple in the Treasure Valley? So I'm just going to pray. Maybe we even put the lights down. I don't want this to be... There's, you can go, you can leave, you can come and ask. Johnny's up here. Um, actually, I forgot. If you, if you, There's these little pledge cards that have the let's see what they say they have a scan me which is to the push bay if you do that give on the building fund that makes our life a thousand times more simple um, there's like a, one of the tabs and then this is just name phone number and it's a pledge amount um, we we're making we've basically said yes to buying the 40 acres in faith we don't know how yet um, but we'll need the money by basically the first of August, maybe a couple wiggle days, um, but that's basically pledging that I give the money by the first week of August. Um, and if you want to talk to us, you can. If you want to take this home, if you want to pray, you can pray, but there's space here. We have buckets forward. Um, if you want to just, we'll just create space. I love that the kids are here because this is just, this is a family moment. It's a town hall meeting. Um, so God, I, I'm just going to pray and then the space is yours to to pray, process, and respond as you desire. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege that you've put into the hands of this community. Lord, that the, you are activating us into this priestly vocation, God, of building you a house. I thank you for River House, that you gave us a name that spoke to us, our identity and our calling. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will just rest upon us, that you will animate us, that you will anoint us with your, with your presence, and that you will make a way where there's no way. And we look to you, Jehovah Jireh, and just declare in faith that on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. On the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And so we thank you, Lord. We stand in faith and we thank you for the miracle that you're going to work in the midst and through the midst of this community. And we will all know, God, that this is, this is about you from the beginning to the end, that this is just the next step on a testimony of watching you do wonders to make your glorious house glorious, God. We just all together, God, say it's for your glory. It's for the sake of your name. It is for your people. It's for... 
It's for the lost and the hurting, God. It's for the far out and the highways and the byways, God, that they would know that there is a God in heaven and he is here in this place. God, we thank you for our vocation, Lord. It's no better or, or, or higher than any other church, Lord, but it is our unique vocation to build you a house of prayer for all nations that would be in this physical location. We thank you for this land. We thank you for the Treasure Valley. We thank you for this opportunity. And we thank you, Lord, that you've anointed us us to make a deposit into this land that will transform the lives and the marriages and the homes of many, 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 God, many, many more than what we can see right now. But by faith, God, we see it, that we would bring physical redemption through building you a spiritual house in this land. God, we honor you and we bless you, God, and we just confess that every dollar given, God, everything, it's all for you and it's all to glorify and worship your name. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, if you want a little thing, raise your hand, and they're just gonna they're gonna bring them to you. And then maybe we can just turn the music up. So if you want a little giving slip, and then if you have questions or anything, Johnny's up here and, and I'm up here. So bless you guys and thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. <laughs>